Hi, I'm Arlen Walker, and I'm live from Pelham's Wasteland, and today I'm going to talk about Best Left Buried, which is a, a slightly different set of rules for adventuring in dungeons or adventuring in general, but really it's built for the dungeon crawl. And um, it's pretty cool. It's a pretty interesting system, and I'm going to do an overview of it today. So stay tuned for that. So what is Best Left Buried? Well, to start off with Best Left Buried, the Deluxe Edition comes in three different PDFs where there's a little bit of overlap between the different PDFs and, and some of the sections are, are um, consistent across them. But um, anyway, what you have is the Crypt Diggers Survival Guide the uh, Doomsayer's Guide to Horror, and the Expanded Character Options. And then my understanding is that the deluxe hardcover physical book that I have coming on the way is uh, made up out of all of the, the these pieces put together into a single book. So what's in each section? Well, it's basically... So the Crypt Digger Survival Guide to Survival is... Um, the Player's Handbook, the Doomsayer's Guide to Horror is the GM's book, and the Expanded Character Options is exactly what it says. It's Expanded Character Options. Um, each book is about 60 pages long on the PDF, it looks like. Uh, I guess the, the Doomsayer's Guide is 80 pages, but yeah. Um, anyway, it is a neat system. So what what is it what how does it work well at its core it's a 2d6 plus modifier system trying to get a nine and so what you do for tests is you roll 2d6 plus a stat modifier there are three stats there's brawn wit and will and you are trying to get at least a nine and then there's also an advantage and disadvantage system where advantage and they call it the upper hand i think um, I don't remember the specific terms. One of them is upper hand, and one of them is uh, against the odds. Yeah, advantage is upper hand, disadvantage against the odds. What you do is you roll three dice with the upper hand. You take away the lowest die. With against the odds, you take away the highest die. Then there's the idea that those two will cancel each other out with each source, if you can get three uncancelled of either one, you can make a task either trivial or impossible and basically not need to roll it. They don't stack with each other unless you get to a total of three. So there's an example used in the book of you have an adventurer with a crowbar trying to open up a rotten door while he's waist deep in water. And they say, okay, so waist deep in water is an against the odds. Crowbar is an upper hand rotten door is an upper hand so rotten door and in the water cancel each other out the crowbar is an upper hand roll 3d6 drop the lowest add brawn to that and if that's a nine or higher then that's a success uh i'm gonna take a pause right here because i just got a message Okay, sorry about that. I got an email that I had to respond to um, right away. and um, But I'm back to talking about Best Left Buried. So 
there's actually some really clever stuff with the dice math that's going on. So one of the things that goes on with the dice math is that in combat, what you do is your target number is actually an 8 instead of a 9 with modifiers based on um, how hard or easy the thing is to hit. Basically, kind of like AC modifiers. And what you do instead is you roll 3d6 plus your stat. And what you do is you take two of those dice that you rolled and um, add them together, add the stat. If that is high eight or higher, then what you do is you use that last die as a damage die. So what it means, the effect of this, is that rolling high in general on those dice is actually pretty good. And if you can use the smaller dice to add up to eight or higher, then that big die can be used for damage. And damage goes against what is called vigor. There's two stats that run out in this game. There's vigor and there's grip. Vigor is your basically your hit points, your vitality, all of that sort of stuff. And then there's grip. And grip works a little bit interestingly. Grip is... Um, a sort of a sanity mechanic. Basically, the idea is if you run out of grip, your character goes crazy, dies of a heart attack, something happens to him and that's it. Grip is used for doing things like you can use one point of grip to re-roll dice, you, to re-roll a die, a single die on any check. You can use a point of grip and re-roll it. You also have special things that take grip, like, for instance, casting sorceress powers uses up some of your grip. Um, and there's some other things that use grip, but basically it represents your character's kind of mental stability. And then one of the things that can happen is that as you adventure, you can develop... Um, injuries and afflictions. Um, basically, your character, like a real person, as they experience traumatic events and things like that, can develop coping mechanisms and unhealthy coping mechanisms in particular, basically post-traumatic stress. And um, that gives them back grip so that they can continue to sort of function at the cost of certain kind of role-playing changes or even mechanical changes to the character to represent them going a little crazy from what they've experienced. And that's kind of part of the selling point of the game is this idea that you have characters who you don't just have your character's physical stats, but you also have this mental element too, and that your characters will suffer mentally and emotionally, and they'll they'll go through trauma in the game, which doesn't necessarily sound like that much fun, but, um, you know, if you like that, by which I mean, doesn't sound like fun for everybody, but sounds like it could be a lot of fun if that is... Uh, what you um, you do in the game. Um, anyway, so you have this sense of your character kind of suffering um, mentally or emotionally as they go through the horrors of the crypt of the dungeon. Um, 
And that's kind of the selling point of the game. So how does the rest of the stuff work? Well, character creation is real simple. You get plus two to one stat, plus one to another, and plus zero to something else. And there are three stats. So you get brawn, wit, and will, plus two to one of them, plus one to another, plus zero to something else. And remember that you're trying to hit nine, so even plus two on 2d6, 2d6 plus two is not necessarily guaranteed to hit a nine. So a lot of the game, as the, the Game Mastery book talks about, a lot of the game play from the character side is trying to maximize your advantages to deal with the difficulty of making checks. Kind of similar to the discussion in Quarrel and Fable, that Quarrel and Fable is also a game that's about players maximizing their advantages to um, make checks. So then what do we have? What do we actually have in the PDF? Well, it's pretty straightforward. You have making a character... Um, in addition to your stats and your vigor and grip, which are determined by your stats, you have archetypes. Archetypes are a little bit like classes. They're sort of, uh, as the book says, some of them are a little bit more like classes. Some of them are a little bit more like backgrounds. They basically give your character something that you're good at, something that you're bad at, kind of help define who your character is. And they're designed to be a little more freeform than classes. So like there's the believer and the believer could be used as like a crusading knight or as a cleric who casts healing spells or just as like a crazy cultist. And so that's kind of the, the ethos of the game. After archetypes, we have advancements. Advancements are basically mostly ways to do special things or have to have advantage on certain checks or to... Um, use grip in interesting ways that's kind of at the core of what they are mostly so like there's battle frenzy battle frenzy allows you to spend grip to go into a battle frenzy and smash the enemy more effectively than you would otherwise straightforward enough concept um there's some other ears of the owl the character has the upper hand which remember is advantage on hearing checks on hearing based observation checks Straightforward enough. Advancements are pretty straightforward. Um, there's also special rules in the advanced, um, the expanded character options for if you take a certain number of advancements of a certain type, you can build up to getting um, specialized advancements. Advancements that are sort of more specialized to a, a particular role within the crypt. Excuse me. And so that is... Uh, an interesting way to um, to go about kind of class advancement and that sort of stuff is that basically if you if you it's sort of like uh, specializing in defeats in certain other systems. Anyway, where were we? So, Crypt Digger's Guide, Chapter Four, playing the game. Like I said, it's all about stat checks, upper hand against the odds, observation checks, which are just a flat. 2d6 versus 9, which means that observation checks are not easy to make, um, which is part of the theme, is that the idea observation checks are not just what you notice, but the value that you place on what you notice as you think about um, as you think 
kind of the weight that you place on what you notice and, and how you think about it and all that sort of stuff. Um, then we have combat rules, initiative, surprise, uses zones for movement, turns, you get a move action and a regular action. Like I said, there's the special attacking rules, which the attacking rules, like uh, I talked about, I like them. I, I think they're an interesting way to emphasize the difference between a, a big hit and a little hit based on the two hit roll, not just the damage roll. Because there's some games where, you know, you rolled a 19 to hit, but you rolled minimum damage. And so it sort of feels like, oh, that that's a little bit of the kind of, not necessarily immersion breaking, but that it, it doesn't flow together as well, it seems like. Um, there's also special rules for monsters and ganging up, which um, player characters are unable to gang up on monsters. They have to take their turn separately, but monsters can gang up, which gets back to the themes of like you are doing your best to avoid being overwhelmed by the, the monstrous things that you are facing in the dungeon. Um, anyway, it's pretty cool. And then we have discussion for leveling up, grip checks, resting. Um, there's special resting rules in the Doomsayer's Guide to Horror that allow you to roll randomly how much you get back when you rest. Um, there's a discussion of improving rules, and then we have consequences, injuries, and afflictions. Um, afflictions, which are called insanities on the tables. There are two tables that give you, basically, you can choose to take an injury or an affliction and get grip back, or they can be inflicted upon you based on certain situations. Um, but basically, this represents your character kind of suffering and getting some sanity back as they develop poor coping mechanisms to deal with the horror of the um, the the crypt. I almost said the barrow maze because that's. Um, I've been thinking about the Bear Maze game with Kevin Madison uh, a fair bit, and that seems like this might might work for a mega dungeon in interesting ways. Then we have a chapter on monsters. There's no monster um, bestiary or anything like that. There's basically just suggestions for here's how to build monsters. Um, and... Um, there's even a description of um, here's how to adapt monsters from other games, but it is, it's kind of an interesting choice. I think the idea is to make it so that your monsters are more kind of um, specialized and unique. And there's less of the, in the introduction, there's a description of how if players know like, you know, Oh, I know this subspecies of creature that this is that kind of takes the fear out of it. And you want, weird and unique monsters and so that's the whole idea there's a discussion on um non-mechanical threat elements to the monster so things like how maneuverable how cohesive do they fight um how much do the characters know about them do they hide and ambush the players all of that sort of stuff um Anyway, and then there's a there's an interesting monster moods table, which is basically how does the monster feel when you interact with it, which is a good way. Um, it's a random table to say, like, you know, 
not everything that you encounter has to be fought right now. Um, and then we have a character sheet. That's the end of the Crypt Digger's Guide to Survival. Um, then we have the Doomsayer's Guide, and it has the same introduction, a same running the game section um, with the information about... Oh, no, the running the game section is different. It is the... Um, the monsters section that's the same, but then we have stuff about um, running the game and how to um, effectively create the sort of thematic feel and that sort of stuff. A discussion of the crypt, the dungeon. Um, what's it like? What do you fill it with? All of that sort of stuff. Um, differences between civilization, wilderness, and the crypt itself. Um, and then there's a, um, description of thinking about how there's a lot of stuff here. That's basically just about thinking about how to build your crypts in interesting ways and how to create a good game monster section. Like I said, it's the same as the one in the crypt diggers guide to survival rewards and treasure. There's, um, experience rewards, treasure rewards, talking about, you know, um, things that ought to be, you know, or not ought to be, but basically the sort of stuff that players want. The reason that characters go into the crypt is generally to get treasure. And so you'd have to have kind of interesting treasure. And so there's a discussion on treasure and potions and spell scrolls, all sorts of stuff about treasure. Um, we have a section on the world, which is basically everything outside the crypt. And then there's a, a world map and there's some, some towns labeled some ideas about here's a world to play in. If you want to play in it, um, which is cool. Then we have, um, a discussion on the camp. One of the things, so in the Crypt Digger's Guide to Survival, after you build your first character, it says, okay, now make two more because you're going to lose characters and you're likely to be part of a sort of larger company. And so I think the idea of the way this is to be played is that you have most of or a portion of the Crypt Digger company setting up camp outside the dungeon and then a, a group of them go in to the dungeon itself to try to deal with um, some specific task. And so there's a discussion of how to run a company of crypt diggers versus uh, a lone adventuring party. There's a 2d6 table for sample orders to give to a, a group going into the dungeon or the crypt, um, a recovery table and um Basically, uh, it it's, you know, um, the recovery table gives you a chance to have a mechanical thing to say, here's about how well you recover from the, um, the night's rest. Um, one of the big things is that you recover vigor generally faster than you recover grip. 
and so the idea is that grip is this kind of permanent resource that represents a little bit like shadow and hope in the one ring role-playing game um the idea that you don't recover hope very quickly and so taking shadow versus your hope represents a sort of long-term damage to your character by being an adventure versus vigor or uh, in that game it's um endurance but that that you can you know recover from cuts and bruises a lot faster than you can recover from the basically PTSD. Um, anyway, and then we have a fully worked out Barrow, a crypt to um, explore with your players with a lot of um, stuff that is pretty cool. It's a, it's a great big crypt. Um, And it's got some worked out. I also like it has some uh, worked out monsters too. And so you get a sense of how they um, they what they should look like depending on what they are and kind of what their stats should be like in the description of stuff. Anyway, um, Doomsayer's Guide to Horror. It's a cool book. Finally, we have the expanded character thing. Expanded character has the same making a character and most of the same advancements chapter, but then it has some special advancements. Like I said, there's um, arcane advancements for wizards, devious advancements for rogues, holy advancements for clerics, and martial advancements for warriors. And these are special advancements that you get when you've taken a certain number of general advancements of a certain type that basically represent your character becoming the the kind of archetype of that particular type of, of um, that, that particular type of character, that particular class in some ways um there's a good section here it's also in the crypt diggers guide to survival that um using for instance something like a fireball or a lightning strike or the equivalents within the game it's the equivalent of unleashing a hand grenade in a knife fight and it's designed to be like that that it's something big and flashy and over the top and it's your you know special resource that you probably you don't just go casting magic all the time in this game then we have demi human archetypes there's dwarves similar to early editions this is a racist class sort of thing so dwarves have a dwarven archetype an elven archetype, and a small folk who are hobbits or halflings archetypes. Um, and they have some special afflictions or um, special uh, things to do. And then finally, one of the cool things in the expanded character options is that we have a random character generator. So you can use the D6s that you've got to roll up a random character and uh, get yourself going. You could roll a bunch of random characters um, and create a whole company of adventurers to be um, playing as. So yeah, that's. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pause here and then I'm gonna talk a little bit more about my thoughts on Best Left Buried, kind of beyond what's actually in the the book. 
So what do I think about Best Left Buried? Well, there's a lot of stuff that I like about it. Um, I like that it's a pretty simple system. It seems like it would probably play pretty light on its feet. It, um, I am not a big dungeoneering kind of guy normally, but I like the idea that um, it would sort of work for, um, for dungeoneering, for, you know, being a, an interesting way to um, do dungeons and have a sense of the uh, the doom, the the cost of dungeoneering. That's I think the big thing that I really like. It also, um, like I said, light on its feet. I like that it only uses d6s. I like games that use d6s. Um, I like that it. Um, yeah, it's just a it's an interesting game. I kind of like it. It's not for everybody, definitely, but I like the idea that it um, sets out to tell a kind of particular type of story. I think that's something that I like in a lot of the games that I like is a game that rather than saying it's a sort of for everything game, that it sets out to tell a particular type of story or be a particular type of game and that... Uh, Therefore, it kind of is specific that it works for that specific thing. I don't know. That's really cool to me. So I had an idea. That last section, I feel like I, I taught, I don't know, it, it just a little bit lame, kind of not in as much depth, not, not quite what I want to have as um, a way to talk about what kind of stuff that I like. So... Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to roll up a random character for um, Best Left Buried using the random character generation sheet. So we're going to start with stats. Got a one, two brawn, one wit, zero will. And then we're going to do archetype. Got a six, so the second column. And a two, an outcast. So let me read to you what it says about the outcast. Outcasts adventure because they don't fit in anywhere else. They're often homeless vagrants. They're often homeless vagrants, often because their family kicked them out, sometimes because their own choice. They might be hedge knights, lone wizards, brooding rangers, or asocial hermits. They're always grim, fiercely capable survivors. Outcasts are True grit outcasts are grizzled folk used to the worst the world can offer. The first time each adventuring day an outcast would lose grip due to a grip check from a monster environment, they ignore it and don't lose a point. Outcasts are at home in the wild and skilled at surviving the outdoors. Outcasts gain the upper hand when they make a will check to find food or navigate in a wilderness environment. Not a people person. Most outcasts live outside the boundaries of society. Outcasts are against the odds when they make a wit check to, check to interact with an NPC. So having plus one wit, not as useful for us. But let's do advancements, full list. All right, so for column, five. And for row, a three. So tough as nails. What does tough as nails do for us? Um, let me find it real quick. 
The character gains an additional point of vigor for each advancement they have. When, when injured, spend a grip point to roll two dice on the injury table and choose the result you prefer. So, we get... What do we get for our starting vigor and grip? Five plus brawn of two is seven plus two for the number of advancements. So even though we only have one advancement, is nine. So nine vigor and four grip. So that's interesting. We're we're not a particularly good at the the sanity thing, but that kind of makes sense. We're an outcast. Um, so we don't have a lot of support for all that sort of stuff. Um, we get 50 feet of rope, three torches, a backpack, bedroll, a week of rations, and basic armor. Um, roll two weapons on the weapons table. So let us do brawn weapons. So for column. Oh. 1d3, so 4, so that's the middle, and then a 6, a 2, a hand axe. So we have a hand, hand axe, and what else do we have? Column 3 and 4 is a scutum, a shield. Interesting, interesting. And then we're going to roll for three pieces of equipment on the tables. Brawn equipment. We have grease. We have... I'm not going to take two greases. We have a hammer and chisel. And we have Alchemist's Fire. Ooh, that's interesting. So we have some grease. I assume that's to, to grease hinges and that sort of stuff. The hammer and chisel. I'm not entirely sure what that's going to be useful for. And we have Alchemist's Fire. That is pretty cool. And then we have to roll a failed career. So column is four, five, four to six, section, and a two. We were a monk. Ooh. So our character is an outcast who was formerly a monk who has plus two brawn, plus one wit, and plus zero will who is tough as nails, who carries a hand axe and a shield in addition to his basic armor, who um, also has, he's got some rope, he's got some torches, a backpack, a bedroll, a week of rations, and he has some grease and some alchemist's fire, and hammer and chisel. So that is our outcast character, our um, random character. And let's do roll on the name too. Four, one. Clarabelle, a she, a she outcast. 
Um, I assume, I, I don't know, I've never heard the name Clarabelle before, but that sounds like a female name. So yeah, we have an outcast character for Best Left Buried, and it was pretty quick, right? Um, let me see. Yeah, we're closing in on seven minutes on this section of the episode. So um, yeah, pretty easy to make a character, pretty easy to make a bunch of characters and have just a big adventuring company do do the black company style where you have, you know, a whole bunch of different characters kind of all part of a single adventuring company. So yeah, that is best left buried. Um, it's a pretty cool system. It, you know, I'm excited to see how it plays at the table. I'm not sure when I'm going to get a chance to play it at the table, but you know, I would like to see it, how it plays at the table. So, you know, there's that. Um, if you want to leave a call in on Anchor, I am at anchor.fm slash Pelham's Wasteland. If you want to get hold of me, one of the best ways to do that is through Twitter. I am at Cows from Powis there. Um, hope you enjoyed it. I've been Arlen Walker. I've been live from Pelham's Wasteland, and I will see you next time. Take care. <laughs>